0: This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Welcome to The Straits Times Books Podcast, where we talk about books that have made the headlines recently and recommend you new reads for the month ahead. I'm Olivia Ho, and I'm here today with my co-host. Hi, I'm To Win Lee. Hi, Win And today we're going to be talking about Crazy Rich Asians by Kevin Kwan, State of Emergency by Jeremy Tiang, My Year of Rest and Relaxation by Otessa Moschweg, and The Silence of the Girls by Pat Barker. So first of all, Crazy Rich Asians, the film and book that has been on everyone's tongue recently. It's a story of a Chinese-American professor who comes to Singapore and discovers that her boyfriend is actually the son of a very ridiculously rich family. So Wendy, what did you think of the book? I actually really enjoyed the book. I mean, I wasn't expecting to. I only
1: read the book a few months ago when, okay. um, when the trailer came out and everyone was talking about, not everyone, but people were talking about how um, there wasn't much diversity in the film. And that was what prompted me to pick it up. Initially, I, reading the title, I, I just assumed it would be badly written lit, the kind of book you would just pick up at an airport bookstore and then chuck aside afterwards. It didn't strike me as being particularly substantial. And in a way, it doesn't have to be. So when I read the book, it was surprisingly entertaining. Mm. More well-written than I was expecting it to be. And I think it was just good fun. Sassy, entertaining, compelling. I do feel the movie does do justice to the book even though it struck me as being um, a kind of mildly amusing hodgepodge of various aspects of Singapore society and so-called iconic Asian symbols. I mean, you've got the jiaozi, you've got um, Singapore's famous hawker food, and you've got everything packed into such a tightly edited film. So it struck me as being, um, as a Singaporean, as an Asian, as being slightly bizarre in a way, but at the same time, very entertaining and Just good fun,
0: I think. I have to say that I really hope that they, you know, at least make the second film because I do think the boats get better as they go along. Kevin Kwan, of course, wrote a trilogy, um, China Rich Girlfriend and Rich People Problems. And I feel like um, the first book is, you know, maybe a little cardboard. Do you find that? I'm not yeah, very I invested in I mean, wouldn't
1: Yeah, I wasn't really invested in any of the characters. I mean, definitely not invested in the Nick and Rachel romance yeah. and all that. Um, I found the storyline that dipped into the relationship between Nicholas's cousin Astrid and mm. the two men she's involved with, so to speak, uh, I found it a bit more compelling. Because um, the movie only lasted for two hours, there wasn't really enough time to flesh it out. But that struck me as being a bit more interesting. But yes, I, I do agree the characters are cardboard, but that's okay. I mean, I think what Quan has in store for us is just a crazy spectacle of um, excess and everything else is secondary, mm. characterization included.
0: Yeah, so I'm going to read a little quote from my favorite of the three books, which is Rich People Problems. So it's the scene in which involves Astrid in a way. So it goes... Isabel Wu had a psychotic breakdown and barged into Rosalind Fang's Christian Fellowship banquet and threw a bowl of extra hot laksa at Astrid, but missed, and it landed all over the ladies. But thank God Felicity was wearing one of her Pasamalam polyester dresses from that tailor of hers in Tiong Baru. So the soup did nothing to her, and it slid right off like teflon. But poor Mrs. Lee and the Dowager Sultana got drenched in our recovering from first-degree burns. So it's that kind of utter <laughs> ridiculousness, you know, like not this level of reality that, you know, we are all familiar with. But it's funny, it's entertaining, and um, I suppose we need all need a little laughter at this point in our lives. So moving on to a very different kind of book, State of Emergency by Singaporean author Jeremy Tiang. And uh, Wendy, you reviewed this for us uh, last year when it came out, and it just won the Singapore Literature Prize for English fiction. So how did you find it?
1: Yeah, I mean, I was very glad to hear that I received the prize. It's one of the best works of local fiction I have read, I must say. Um, So so just a a quick um, summary of what it's all about. It's um, Jeremy Tiang's debut novel. Um, Tiang is currently based in Brooklyn, in the States, and he's a full-time writer. And so this debut novel kind of concerns itself with the leftist movements and the detentions in Singapore and Malaysia from the 1940s to the present day. So it's very sensitive, intricately patterned. Um, it's told from the perspectives of six different people. You've got the fiery communists, you've got the pious civil servants, you've got an intrepid journalist. The narrative unfolds against this backdrop of key moments in Singapore's history. You've got the Hockley Buzz riots, um, the McDonald House bombing, and the Marxist conspiracy. What I really like about Tiang's style is how he's able to write prose that is so beautiful, sensitive, and it comes with this sense of clear-eyed restraint. I think one of his greatest virtues is how he's able to take a step back from what he's trying to describe and handle his subject matter in a very responsible and sensitive way, and particularly as a book that tries to do justice or at least tries to represent or translate into fiction such a turbulent period in Singapore's history. I think what he does is admirable. It's a very responsible take on these events in history. So I'm just going to read out a couple of phrases I've plucked out from the book, um, which I feel kind of exemplify what a great wordsmith Tiang is. So Tiang also translates, um, he's also a translator. He has translated more than 10 books from Chinese. So there is one, um, I think quite early on in the book, where he talks about the crowd in the aftermath of the McDonald House bombing. And he likens the crowd to human mountains, human oceans, which is, of course, a literal translation of a well-known Chinese idiom that every Chinese-speaking child in Singapore learns in primary school, of course. Ren Shan Ren Hai. So I think it was a very interesting way of briefing life into this hackneyed idiom. Olivia, would you describe Tiang's book as subversive? Some well, people have, of, or, or of these course, provocative. Of
0: course, we've had the, um, the news that the NAC partially revoked part of Tiang's grant, um, and many have theorized that maybe because of its controversial topics, leftism is uh, always controversial for Singapore literature. But I don't think that he is deliberately very subversive. I feel like he's tried to give a very balanced view. He gives the point of view of the civil servants, the point of view of the communists, and everyone in his book does what they do because they truly believe in what they're doing. And I do think he tries to withhold judgment from all parties in the way that perhaps other books may not have. I'm glad that the book came into the world, even though it had its grant withdrawn and that it has gone on to win this prize, which demonstrates its literary merit in a way. Would you say it's a political book? In a way, yes, I would say it's a political book in that it's about politics. Most things, it's, it's very hard to avoid politics as a... But everything is political. Everything days. is polit- Art is political. But yeah, I don't think that should be held against it or have people kept away from it because it's political. I do think that we need to look at certain parts of our history and consider what we've heard about them from some people and what we've heard about them from other people and make our own judgments.
1: Yeah, I would say it's a very important addition to our, can I say canon, our canon of local culture? Yeah, I, I, would
0: like to, you know, I would like to think that we have a canon. Yes. Yes. So for the month ahead, Wenli, you're going to recommend My Year of Rest and Relaxation, which sounds like the dream for many of us overworked souls. Yes,
1: it's the dream. I mean, um, and that's one of the things that mean, pick it up from the shelf, My Year of Rest and Relaxation, which journalist would not want a year of rest and relaxation. It's got nothing to do with spa retreats, nothing to do with all-day massage retreats or anything like that. It's actually set in America in between the years 2000 and 2001. Mm -hmm. Um, The main character is a 24-year-old Columbia graduate, and um, she's wary of life. And she decides to take a year of chemically-induced hibernation. So she goes into the state of chemically-induced hibernation, And to do that, she takes sleeping pills. um, She goes heavy on antidepressants. She numbs the senses with TV. And at the end of it, she does kind of emerge um, refreshed and rejuvenated. This is just a way of coping, I think, with what life has thrown at her. Her parents have died and she's in an abusive relationship with her Wall Street boyfriend. So yes, it was very well-written, darkly comic, and just very refreshing. I think one of the things I really um, like about Otessa Moschweg's style is how she doesn't flinch from the scatological, the, the mm-hmm. inglorious, the, all these very everyday but also um, unladylike or undignified aspects of life. And she does take this to excess in a way and it's often quite funny. So one example would be quite early on in the book where the main character talks about how she's too tired to do the laundry and the sound of the dryer makes it hard for her to sleep. And at this point, she's trying to sleep for most of the day. So she just chucks out her dirty underpants. So it's just very, um, not so much shocking, but you wouldn't really expect this for most pieces of fiction. So I thought that was quite refreshing. And yes, I would definitely recommend it to all you readers out there. So yes, Olivia, um, you recommend this book called *Silence, of, Silence of the Girls*. Silence of by the Pat Girls. Pat Barker. Yes.
0: Pat Barker is a Man Booker Prize-winning novelist. She's best known for the *Regeneration* trilogy, in which she talks about the trauma of shell-shocked World War II soldiers. But in this, in this new book, she's gone back in time to the Trojan War, to the Iliad, which is the oldest written work, something, in Western literature. And the Trojan War is fought over a woman called Helen of Troy, the most beautiful woman in the world. But I think what struck Barker and is was that all these wars which are fought by men over women, and the women themselves don't say very much. And so she's got this line in the book, which really stood out for me. Um, she says, men carve meaning into women's faces, messages addressed to other men. So, in a way, this book is trying to fill that silence in the canon. She's telling it from the point of view of Briseis, who was a queen, who was later captured by Achilles, who is the greatest warrior among the Greeks, and she becomes his slave. And she gives you this unusual insight into what life is in the slave camp that the Greeks, uh, that is the Greek army camp. So Briseis is not a voice that people have heard from, I think, before. So this is really a difficult book to read. Um, it's not for the faint-hearted. I found it personally quite draining because it's not graphically violent, but she writes in such a brutal, unflinching way. It's very hard to look away from. But at the same time, I think it's an important book because uh, even today, war still happens, women and children still suffer in it, and um, you know their voices also need to be heard.
1: So Olivia would you say this is part of a wave of literature written by women which kind of seek to offer a modern spin on these very classic myths?
0: Yes, I would I would definitely say that. Emily Wilson uh, has recently become the first woman to translate The Odyssey, also by Homer, who wrote The Iliad. And uh, recently we've also had Madeline Miller with Circe, uh, Kamala Shamsi with Home Fire. And I think Barker slots very neatly into this new wave, which I'm glad of because, you know, these classic myths are what underpin so much of our literature, and yet they ignore the concerns of half of the population. It's nice as a woman to know that you have a place in these myths and to fill that silence in the canon well I think that's all we have time for today but um, do join us next month for new reads and new books and in the meantime happy reading everyone
1: bye that was an SPH podcast find us on iTunes Google Podcasts, and streaming on Google Home do send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at
0: straightscience.com and bt.sg.